As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dr. Tim Jordan back here with you with a brand new episode of Raising Daughters. Happy New Year. We're just getting into the new year now. And I hope you had a good holiday season. Hopefully you had good times with your kids, with your families. And I hope you're back ready to strap in and learn some new stuff about girls and raising daughters today. Excuse my voice. It's a little bit hoarse just from the weather, I guess. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power through. Let me start you today with a little story to kind of introduce the topic. There's a dad who texted his son at college one day. It was a really cold winter morning like it is right now here in St. Louis. And his message said, windows frozen, they won't open. So his son texts back and says, gently pour some lukewarm water over it, then gently tap the edges with a hammer. A few minutes later, dad texts back and says, the computer is really messed up now. I think that my topic today is no laughing matter, but I also think that we need some education. And I think parents need to better understand what's going on with their daughters and cyberbullying. And the reason I thought I'd talk about cyberbullying today is that there's a very recent survey that came out, a survey about teens and social media. And that survey showed that almost half of teens say that they've been cyberbullied at some point. 46% of the kids aged 13 to 17 experienced at least one of six cyberbullying behaviors, 28% had experienced multiple types, and 55% of LGBTQ students had experienced cyberbullying as well. On up. But I think before we start today, let's talk first of all what, what we mean by bullying. The uh, kind of official definition, if you will, is that any bullying is unwanted aggressive behavior that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. And this behavior is repeated or has the potential to be repeated over time. So in order to be considered bullying, the behavior must be aggressive and include an imbalance of power, where kids who bully use their power, physical strength, access to embarrassing information or popularity to control or harm other people. Power imbalances can change over time and in different situations, even if they involve the same people. The second part of the definition is the repetition part. Bullying behaviors happen more than once or have the potential to happen more than once. And the reason I throw out that definition is because there's a lot of girls I see in my counseling practice who will say that they've been bullied and I'll say, what happened? They'll say, you know, she, my friend called me stupid or something where it's not really bullying. Doesn't, doesn't meet that criteria a bit. 
But I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the kinds of bullying that I do see, the kinds of cyberbullying, about what kids, what girls are more, more likely to be targets and what we can do about it. Showed that um, the different kinds of cyberbullying that they talked about were things like offensive name calling. That was about a third of the girls, or a third of the kids. Spreading false rumors about people. About 22% had experienced that. Receiving explicit images they didn't ask for. 17%. Constantly being asked where they are, what they're doing, who they're with, by somebody other than their parents. Physical threats was about 10%. And having explicit images of them shared without their consent. That was about 7%. Let me give you a couple of other things that I noticed with girls who I work with in my counseling practice, in my retreats, summer camps, when they share things in our circles. That is being, uh, there's some girls who are bullied, cyberbullied, if you will, by being harassed by boys to send photos. I did a, a podcast about that issue a few months ago. And in my show notes, if you just go to my website, uh, you'll, you'll see uh, a link to that. Boys who keep sending, asking girls, send photos, send photos, send nudes. Send me a picture of you in this outfit, in this, in this position. If they don't, the boy threatens to spread rumors about them. And if the girl finally relents and sends the photos, the boys want more and they want more and they don't stop. And they threaten to spread the, the photos all over the school if they refuse. That, I think, is cyberbullying that I see way too often with girls. I also see cyberbullying where people are talking about them behind their backs and turning a whole friend group or a whole class against somebody so that this girl loses all of her friends. That's a very common way that I see that girls are cyberbullied. Rumors, gossip, um, and turning people against each other. The report, by the way, noted that 15 to 17-year-old girls stood out for being particularly likely to have faced any cyberbullying. That was compared with any younger teen girls or teen boys of any age, by the way. And when they asked the girls and the, and the teens um, why they thought they had been targeted, physical appearance topped the list. But they also mentioned things like gender, race or ethnicity, sexual orientation, political views. Let me throw out there some other reasons why I see that girls become a, can become targets. They're girls who are kind of quiet, meek, innocent. They're kind of those, those sweet girls who are just kind of slow to grow up in a very natural way, but uh, a lot of times they become targets because they're vulnerable. They let their feelings be hurt easily. They give their power away to, to girls who are making fun of them or teasing them about their outfits or, the, or their hobbies or their interests and things. These are girls who tend to be more passive and they take it. And because they take it and because they get their feelings hurt, it, it invites more. On the other end of the spectrum, I see girls sometimes who are very powerful. They don't care what the queen bee thinks. They don't give in to her. And so then they become a target because the queen bee doesn't like people who don't kowtow. They don't like people who don't follow along with, with them. This includes sometimes girls who are powerful in a way that they're out there. They're outspoken. They're loud. They don't care what people think. Sometimes they attract some of that cyberbullying cyber because people are trying to knock them down a peg because people are jealous of them because they're powerful in a, in a more productive way. I did a podcast before about old souls. 
The title was Why Amazing Girls Are Sometimes or Oftentimes Lonely. These are the girls who are very mature and who don't like drama, and they are just great kids. Um, but what, hap what happens, though, is that because they don't like drama, they don't like being involved in rumors and gossip, they stay out of that stuff, which is awesome. But because they're out of that stuff and they're out of the drama, then they're kind of out of the loop of things. And so then they feel like kind of like a third wheel. They feel like they're not really part of the group. They become more vulnerable because they're not involved with all the mean girl stuff going on, if you will. And sometimes it puts, puts them at risk for becoming targets because they don't have a group around them to protect them. I also find that girls, and I see this starting in grade school, girls who get tired of that drama with some of the girls, especially in like fourth, fifth grade. Oftentimes, these are girls who are not girly girls. They like rough and tumble. They like they like playing sports. So on the, on the playground, they'll, they'll be like tired of the drama. So they'll just go play with the boys. They'll play kickball, football, whatever. And they have a great time. But the other girls get jealous because they hang out with the other boys. There starts to be comments about, oh, how are your boyfriends and all that kind of thing. And then they sometimes become targets of cyberbullying because people want to put them down because they're jealous. Because this, this girl has so many guy friends. Not boyfriends, but guy friends. And they become very comfortable being around the guys. And the guys like them, not in a girlfriend way necessarily, but just as a friend. And that kind of triggers some girls to cause them to, to bring out bullying behaviors. Also, I told you before in a previous podcast about my How You Feel Different circles at camp. Camp or in my school program, Strong Girl, Strong World. A lot of times we'll sit in a circle and it's a way of getting girls to become a little bit more open and vulnerable. We ask them to first close their eyes and visualize how they feel different in a way they don't like. Then they open their eyes and everybody, we go around the circle one at a time and they share a way they feel different. And we get all kinds of stuff from skin color to I'm tall, I'm short. Um, I, I was the first person to go through puberty and I was thus the first person with curves. I have a hard time with math. I come from a family with a divorce, um, blah, 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 blah. There's just a whole range of things how they feel different. But one of the values of that is that these girls always feel like they're the only ones who feel that they're different. And they become very self-conscious about it. But after going around the circle, they realize, wow, maybe there are a lot of people who feel different. Everybody does in some way. It may just be something as simple as I'm not very athletic. Uh, or I have just diff I have different hobbies. I like anime, or I like hanging out. I like uh, uh, working with dogs. I dress different than other people at school. I come in my sweats. I don't care. Girls who don't wear makeup in middle school and high school. The girls in the old days they used to call goth kids who wore the kind of dark clothes. So any way that girls are different, that can become a target for for people to to make fun of. Uh, that sometimes also includes girls who are just very attractive, the girls who are considered pretty by everybody, including the boys. And because the boys are attracted to them, once again, the other girls can get jealous and then they can become the subject of rumors and gossip and all that kind of stuff. I mentioned before, and I'm sure you've heard before, that LGBTQ kids oftentimes are the target of bullies more so than, than kids who are not in that category. Uh, that's a way of being different. And so that's sometimes that invites cyberbullying. I also find girls sometimes are targets because they're just girls who don't have a group. Girls who are lonely for whatever reason. 
Maybe they got kicked out of their group, or maybe their their two best friends moved and didn't come back this semester, and they're alone. And when they're alone, a lot of times they feel vulnerable. They don't know who to sit with at lunch. I see so many girls who end up sitting in the counselor's office. They go to the library. They'll even they'll even go to the bathroom sometimes during lunch because they're so embarrassed about not having anybody to sit with, and they become vulnerable because they don't have that protection around them. And then, you know, the other thing is, I'm going to talk about this in a moment, is that lots of kids today, even as young as 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, are on social media already. They've got social apps that are connected uh, to other people. They can interact with other people, other people online, and they're just not ready. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Girls might be targets. Let's talk now for just a moment about why girls might cyberbully somebody. I think one of the top reasons is it's a way to be powerful. It's a way to feel in control. If you can be mean to somebody online and you get a whole bunch of people to pile on and follow along and go along with you, then you get a tremendous sense of power and control from that. People become intimidated by you because they're afraid that if they don't follow along, they're going to be the next victim. And so a lot of times there's, it's a power thing or a control thing. It's amazing amount, the amount of power that the whole class can give to someone, a queen bee. It's amazing how much power they're willing to give away sometimes until they become aware. It's also a reason that girls cyberbully is because the teen brain, like all of our brains, is wired to connect, but even more so in the teen years. There's a raised interest in peer relationships and thus more susceptibility to the peer influence especially during the teen years, and it peaks around 14, 15 years of age. Social acceptance fitting in meant survival back in prehistoric days. And that wiring is still there for us, and it's really there for girls. Back in the prehistoric dangerous times, if you were a girl or a woman, and you got kicked out of a group, there's a really good chance you and your offspring would not survive. So being part of a group, being connected, became so important and never more so than during the teen years. The teen brain also does not handle other people's comments as well, as well as adults, if you will. There are several areas of the brain that makes teens more sensitive uh, to that. And the most important one is called the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex. The right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, because it helps people cope with negative evaluation from other people by reducing stress. But this brain region is still underdeveloped in teenagers, like many parts of a teenage brain. So it's less effective at controlling distress during peer exclusion, when they're being left out, that kind of a thing. It contributes to engaging in risky behaviors to prevent exclusion, including things like going along with the queen bee and doing cyberbullying. So because they're so sensitive to put-downs, they're so sensitive to others' criticism, and being left out and excluded. They're willing to do whatever it takes to stay in the group. Which brings us to mirror neurons. That's the part of the brain that um, is always looking around at what other people are doing and thinking and wanting and what we think they want us to do. Our choices, our individual, our individual choices are very powerfully shaped by what those other people are doing and saying and what we think that they want us to do. 
Again, we were hardwired to connect. Alone meant death. So those mirror neurons are keeping track of what other people are thinking, feeling, and doing. Constantly comparing ourselves to other people in the group with questions like, am I fitting in? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing anything that might get me kicked out of the group? That's always been wired in, those mirror neurons. We're always looking, we've always been looking around for that reason. But today, we don't just compare ourselves to the 10 people in the tribe. We can compare ourselves to everybody on the planet instantly and constantly and forever and ever. So it's hard not to walk around with I'm not very good or I'm not a good enough story on us because it's so hard not to compare ourselves. Just to stay connected. It makes a lot of things catchy. For instance, we catch temptations when we see other people give in. When you're talking about other people who are eating something, or smoking, or doing drugs, or cheating, those mere neurons in our brain lets us think that it's probably okay because everybody else is doing it. And if they're doing it, maybe I should be doing it because it must be right. And if I don't do it, I might get kicked out. And again, we're not thinking this consciously, but that's what our brain is driving us to do. Rule breaking is contagious. When we see other people ignoring the rules and following their impulses, we're much more likely to give in to any of our own impulses. And that includes the cyberbullying. It's so easy for people to jump on and jump in and pile on to people. I think mirror neurons are part of the reason for that. It's also the reason why things like depression, anxiety, stress is also contagious, which is why when, when girls are together in a school and they're all stressed out about finals, that it's, it's hard not to get stressed out because everybody else is. Our mirror neurons are saying, connect, connect, connects, connect. Now, all these things are, have been present way before cell phones and social media, but the online interactions make it worse. The parts of our brain that allows us to process other people's emotions and to figure out other people's intentions are activated by eye contact. Eye contact makes us more socially aware. It makes us more empathetic. It allows us to make better sense of our relationships. And so if we're spending a lot of time on our devices, we miss that part. There's research that shows that girls who spend more time online had decreased ability to identify the feelings of other people or even their own feelings. They felt less accepted by their peers. They had less positive feelings from interacting with their friends. And I think this is worse the more they use social media. We're starting to lose the art of mirroring. We don't have as many chances to mirror and empathize and get in other people's shoes. What we do today is we just put our thoughts out there and then we react to other people's thoughts. And that's a gross, oversimpli gross oversimplification, but there's some truth to it. Especially during the COVID years, but even since we've been coming out, I don't think we've, sh we've shaken that part yet. Communicating online allows you to leave when you want. If you're bored, you just click and you go on to something else. I can do something else to, to go to another social media page. Uh, people become less intimidated by other people. Uh, it, takes, it takes less work uh, to have an interaction online. You'll say, which can be a good thing, but sometimes not. A lot of times it, it causes girls to share what they think other people will think is acceptable because they're so worried about being called out or being different. 
because other people can find much more interesting things at any time by just pushing a button, right? Right. So, so we're really worried about are people going to move on from me? The online stuff, being online, being on social media makes people feel more in control. You can stop, switch, you can avoid contact, you can block people, you can deny other people's feelings, you can deny your effects on other people whenever you want. Uh, you get time to think about your response and not feel put on the spot. You can edit and change and, and repost things. I think a lot of times online, your anger has less restraints, which may cause it to increase and go get more out of control. If you don't just see it in person and see the other person's reaction, you're less likely to uh, inhibit yourself. You can't see as well that you're hurting them. So you can say whatever you want, and they have no recourse, and they can't stop you. There's become more bullying online. It's not really safe to be vulnerable and open online because you don't know who's, who's really seeing what you're writing, your texts, your pictures, whether they're going to pass it on to other people, are they judging you, and there's a lot of worry about that. And I've learned in my weekend retreats and my summer camps, I've learned in my Strong Girls, Strong World school program that the best deterrent for drama and mean behaviors is when you know and understand your classmates or your campmates or your retreat mates more deeply. When you understand people and you know them really well and more deeply, you're less likely to, to want to hurt them because you feel close. We've lost some of that with all of our devices. Social media can give girls a chance to try out new looks and new identities to change, reinvent themselves and get immediate feedback, which can be a good thing. But but you're also not always feeling free to do that because you're so worried about being judged, people uh, comparing you in a, in a negative way. You In the past, uh, we've learned a lot about what was going on for teenage girls by reading their journal entries, their diaries, like Anne Frank. She's the most famous but there's all kinds of journals that people have, have read over the years to try and get a sense of what was going on 150 years ago, 100 years ago for, for girls. Um, and today it's different because you can't do the same way because you're constantly being recorded and judged. You always feel like you're performing for somebody, which brings a lot of anxiety. It's exhausting. It's almost like a new kind of performance anxiety because you're trying to always please people and get people's attention and get more likes, etc. You're also trying to to not have so much FOMO, fear of missing out, because you, you uh, turn your on your device, you see a picture like, oh my God, why wasn't I invited to this party? And then all of a sudden your mind goes crazy, you ruminate, and then all of a sudden you're depressed. Too worried about what's what's cool, what what other people think, how you're being judged. Am I popular? Am I having as much fun as everybody else online? It raises girls' fears, their self-doubts, their anxiety, uh, their, their sense of loneliness, their anger. And I think one of the results of all of that is that some girls then are willing to do anything to stay connected, to keep friends, to make friends. And that includes joining in on drama and cyberbullying. It's a way to belong and a way to connect. 
about why there's more cyberbullying today is that we are giving our girls phones and social media way too early. For that matter, need to earn the ability to have devices, phones, uh, video games, and especially social media. They need to show us over months and months of time that they're ready for it. Uh, socially, they can show us they're ready because are they staying disengaged from drama outside of their devices? At school, on their soccer team, down the street in the neighborhood. Because if they're embroiled in lots of drama outside of their social media, then it's not going to get better when they get their phone and they get on Snapchat, etc. Are they socially able to handle their conflicts directly and peacefully? If they can't and they avoid uh, conflicts like the plague, if they don't set boundaries and take care of themselves, a lot of emotions happen, feelings fester, and that creates a lot more drama, which oftentimes then boils over into cyberbullying because they don't do it appropriately. Do, do it meaning resolve their conflict. So things just hang around. I've told you this before in these podcasts that girls years later are still upset about things that happened, you know, four years ago in fifth grade. They haven't let it go emotionally. They've moved on. They've said, no big deal. It's okay, fine, whatever. And they kind of half smile, but there's still some feelings that fester. And that sometimes leaks out as cyberbullying. I want girls to have shown you that they can keep their power. Do they allow words and rumors to hurt them? If they're sensitive to that, if they're vulnerable and someone says you're stupid or you're so short or whatever, they're all upset and then it causes them to be sad or depressed or anxious and not want to go to school or to get angry and lash out. And they're doing that outside of their phones and their social media. It's going to be a disaster if they get on social media. They've got to learn to have tougher skin and learn to not allow those things to get to them. They've got to learn to advocate for themselves, not worry so much about what everybody else thinks, to not let judgments affect them so much, to not be giving themselves up to fit in and be accepted. Because if they're doing that, it's going to get a lot worse when they're posting pictures and having people make comments about them. Are they able to set clear, firm boundaries with people? Can they make decisions that are different than their friends? Use their own mind, not compare themselves so much. Because if they can do all those kinds of things as far as keeping their power, they start to, they're starting to show you that they may be powerful enough, mature enough to try social media. Emotionally, can they handle their emotions? Or are they letting their buttons get pushed a lot, a lot and overreact? They have, they have huge ups and downs of their emotions. And I know you're thinking, well, they're teenage girls, and of course their emotions go up and, go up and down. That's, that's, there's some truth to that. I'm talking about the big swing, swings and the ones that causes them to get depressed or get anxious or have panic attacks or refuse to go to school because somebody said something to them or somebody made a comment about their outfit. If they can't control their emotions offline, they're going to have a harder time doing it online. Um, I also want them to be able to show you that they can have conversations with you. Mature, heart-to-heart -heart kind of conversations where you have an understanding of how they think about things. 
because you're going to want to be making agreements with them and hold them accountable about online behaviors. And if they can't do that offline, they're not going to do it when they're online. Can they be responsible enough to control their sleep, control their impulses? If they've got an addictive kind of personality and they have a hard time controlling their impulses, then they're going to, they're, it's going to be longer for them to be ready for social media and phones, etc. Because those things are meant to for people who, with addictive personalities. How they handle their boredom is important. If they don't handle it very well without the phone and without uh, social media, they're gonna, it's going to be a disaster when they get on it. I don't think girls typically show those readiness skills until they're at least in high school and with a long history and a long track record of showing you those readiness skills. There's many more ways they can show you. Those are just the highlights. And nobody is perfect. And you don't want to set kids up to fail. If they're not mature enough and they're too vulnerable for all those reasons, then I think that the answer should be no. I think that's true for almost every girl until at least high school. I also think, last reason why I think girls get involved in cyberbullying, I think they lack the social-emotional awareness and tools to understand and deal with drama and mean words and bullying. We haven't done a good job of teaching them how to, to understand what's going on and what they can do about it and give them practice. Schools, in general, do not give adequate time for social-emotional learning. My wife and I have been doing it for years, our, our Strong Girls, Strong World program. Sitting in classrooms, in circles with girls, allowing them to talk and to share and get to know each other, and teaching them skills to resolve conflicts peacefully, to set intentions for their class about what they want for their group. What do they want? Not some uh, you know, a poster on the wall that a teacher put up there about uh, you know, how, what the educational system wants in them, but what do you want for your group? Use your language, your words. How do you want to treat each other? What's it going to look like? Teaching them skills. They've got to learn that, especially with each other. Make agreements with each other by standing up for each other. I said it before, I'll say it again. In my Strong Girls, Strong World program for schools, the best deterrent for drama is knowing and understanding your classmates, classmates more deeply. Because if you know them, understand them at a deeper level and you feel closer to them, you're much less likely to want to hurt them. But what cyberbullying is about for your daughters, why it's happening. And let me just give you a couple of quick suggestions about things you can address with your girls to help prepare them to take care of themselves. I've mentioned this before in another podcast about having your daughters sit down and write a list of the qualities of a good friend of a BFF, a best friend forever. Who other people, for the purpose of, if you can find a tribe of, of friends who shares your values and see things the way you do and don't want to get involved in drama and cyberbullying, those kinds of things, that's protective. You want to be around people who, who want to think the way you do as far as that. I don't want you to be around people who are just like you, but as far as staying out of drama and being willing to stand up to the queen bee kind of people in the world, yes, I want you to find people who are mature and who don't play those games. I mentioned it a minute ago, but 
I think you also can make sure your girls earn the ability to have a phone to be on any kind of social media, one thing at a time. You hold off to they've earned it with good behavior over time. They show you their readiness skills. Tell them what you're looking for. Let them know, I'll be more willing to be open to you starting this particular device or this social media platform when you show me A, B, and C. If you can show me that over the next couple months, then I'll know you're ready to try it. I think the whole family can talk about the value of breaks from devices and social media. Sometimes girls just need a break. When there's cyberbullying going on, whether it involves them or not, it's so draining for them to read it, be around it, see it. And so it's nice if the whole family can make agreements about how about we have breaks periodically. Uh, maybe every weekend, uh, all, you know, there's a day of the week that we don't have our phones on, right, on vacations, on car rides. Just let's do something besides that. Let's go outside, God forbid, and hang out or take hikes or let's go out of town to, for a camping trip and we won't bring our phones. Because when they experience being disconnected, even for a night, a few hours, a day, a weekend, it's so relieving. Girls tell me that after a week of our summer camp, they feel so much more relaxed because the pressure is off. They don't have to worry about all that crap on their social media all the time. Make agreements with them about that and hold them accountable. I was I was in a, a support group recently that I, I was running, and the girls were talking about cyberbullying and mean texts and messages they'd received. And uh, by the way, everybody in the group had received them in this particular group. And one of the girls uh, said this, though tired of reading all these negative messages, it made me depressed. And it wasn't just from one person, it was from a bunch of people. So after the first week of school, I decided one day just to turn it off. So I shut down my sites, I shut down Instagram, and I took a vacation from my electronics. I checked my phone, but I blocked a lot of people. If I started reading anything that seemed negative, I just immediately deleted it without reading the whole message. And then she said at the end, I've been so happy the past three weeks and much less stressed. That's her motivation for getting, taking more breaks. Another thing you can do is encourage your daughter's school to allow some time for social-emotional learning. They call them SEL, social-emotional learning programs. There's all different kinds. A lot of times schools don't do them because you have to take away an hour of you know, the ABCs kinds of thing. Even though when there's drama going on in a class of girls, they don't get anything done. They're also distracted and worried and anxious. So if they would just sit down in a group every couple of weeks and have, have a circle time and there's processes they can go to just to talk and to share and to make agreements, all those things I talked about earlier. It makes a huge difference. They learn how to become what I call guardians instead of bystanders. They learn to make commitments to stand up for each other. They learn how, some methods to, to not take on mean words. They talk about their differences. They talk about some of their vulnerabilities. They get closer and closer, and that becomes the deterrent for drama and cyberbullying. They get to see and hear the effects of people's actions on other people, and that is so powerful. Also, parents, you can teach a lot of these tools at home. With siblings, with you, they can learn how to resolve conflicts peacefully and directly. 
You can teach them not to react to other people's words. You can allow them to set boundaries, how to be firm and assertive without being aggressive. We also can teach our girls more about their brains, about the drives to connect and the mirror neurons and those sorts of things. Because when they understand that, I, I do those kinds of the educational little pieces in my retreats and camps and the girls love it. I'll draw stuff on the board and they're very into it because they're like, oh, 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 that's what, oh, it makes sense. It makes sense why I've been behaving the way I am. And it gives them more control over things if, when they understand what's going on. And last but not least, and this is not an easy one, but I just want to say it. It would help a lot if girls could learn to embrace their differences. Because if when they don't, that's when they, they're more vulnerable to reacting to people. If you're short, but you decide, you know what, I have no control over that, and I'm just going to learn to enjoy it, and there's, there's positives from that. If someone then says, hey, shorty, or they start making fun of you, you're like, yeah, I'm short. You'd laugh and walk away. And when you do that, usually the, the teasing stops because they realize, I can't get to you. You don't react. You, you've kept your power, if you will. When we go around the circle at camp and they talk about the differences, we hear so many different things, like I mentioned earlier. When they can spend some time going inward and making some decisions about what they're going to do with that difference. Are they going to keep being upset by it? Are they going to keep comparing themselves unfavorably to other people? Are they going to work at embracing it, accepting it, and just saying, I have no control over a lot of these things, so I'm going to accept it, I'm going to embrace it, and therefore I'm not going to be vulnerable to other people making fun of me about it or teasing me about it. It's one of the most common ways that girls are being cyberbullied is about those differences. So they can become less vulnerable, more strong, and more accepting with their self-love. It's a huge protective piece for them. Girls have some work cut out. They need to learn some skills. They need more self-understanding. They need to understand also why people act the way they do. They need tools. They need to develop tools tools for resolving conflicts and setting boundaries and becoming a guardian, etc. Schools need to step up and they need to do a much better job of giving girls a, a, a space, a safe space to talk about things, make agreements, set intentions, and take care of each other. That helps so much in the classrooms that I work with. And parents at home, you've got a responsibility in teaching your girls some skills as well. And also making sure that they are not allowed on devices and sites until they're ready. Because if they're on those things without being ready, they're, they're vulnerable for, for being abused and being bullied, etc. Kids, schools, teachers, classrooms, parents, families. If we all did our parts, I think the amount of cyberbullying would go down. And when someone would try and stir things up, I think girls would be prepared to not let it blow out of proportion. They could stop it. I tell girls if, if a rumor or gossip comes to you and you're like, you know what, I really don't want to hear this. I know it's not true. It just stirs up a bunch of, bunch of junk. If it comes to you and it stops, that helps. Every little bit helps. But that self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-understanding, and tools that they can learn, those are key for them to be able to handle and prevent cyberbullying. 
podcast comes out, I'll, I'll put a couple of links for some uh, information about some of the things I've talked about today. I appreciate you stopping by every week for these. I always appreciate you passing them on. I will see you in a week with another podcast about another topic. If you have, if you have uh, ideas about what things you'd love for me to talk about, feel free to, to uh, send me a note through my website, and I'd be glad to uh, um, do that. I will see you back here in a week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.